what I kept on hearing from our black and brown communities were, hey, Claude, we love it here, but we've never felt like we could be ourselves. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. How do you know when it's time to let go of a job and pivot into something else? That's one of the hardest things to do, especially when you spend years and years and years building a career, gaining experience in a particular field. That's a question I posed to my guest today, Claude Silva, who is Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. And she shares experiences of how she knew it was time to pivot into something new. We also talk about filling your cup. We talk about Big Claude and Little Claude. Building a culture of belonging where people don't feel alone. There's so much wisdom that she shares in this episode around cultural ad, Black Lives Matter, receiving feedback and ego. So let's just get straight into it. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Claude Silva, who is the Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. How are you doing, Claude? It's great to be here. Good to see you again, my friend. I'm doing great. I think, in fact, that's a, that's a great place to start, actually. The title that you've got, like, your Chief Heart Officer, where did it actually come from? Because okay. it's a unique one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this is how it came about. I was working at VaynerMedia for a year, and uh, I was hired as a senior vice president on the account strategy side. And on my year anniversary, I sat down with our CEO, Gary Vaynerchuk, and I said, you know what? I love this place. I love you, but I'm no longer interested in advertising. I don't want to do it anymore. And he said, all right, what do you want to do? And I said, I only care about people. I only care about the heartbeat of this place. And he said, right, I need you to do this job for 18 more months. And I said, I don't have 18 more months. I'll give you six months. I found my backfill. I resigned. We sat down for breakfast four months after that. And he said, that's it. You're coming back. You're going to be chief heart officer. And I knew what that was because it just sounded intuitively like something I had been. I have, that's who I am. I'm, a, I'm very much a, a people person. I believe in people, possibilities. But I said, I've never done HR before. And he said, that's okay. You'll hire an HR team around you, which I have. And now I am HR. I said, how do we know if I'm successful? And he said, you will touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. And that continues to be my job description. Wow. Five years later. And uh, so really he came up with the word and I basically had just said, I only care about the heartbeat of this place, which is true. So I get to focus every single day on the heartbeat. And what is the heartbeat? It's the people, it's the humans. 
That's what it is. I get to focus in on what makes each and every individual tick, how we are better and stronger as a collective when we collaborate, when we inspire one another, when we're kind to one another. These are the things I get to do every day. How did you develop that people-first, leader with empathy kind of approach? It's just, it's who I am. I've always been that kind of, I've always been that player coach in sport. I was always that person, whether or not I was on the tennis team, I was the captain of the tennis team. I've always been that, that mentor, that good friend to people. I studied to be a psychotherapist. I care about people. I care about people's pain, actually. And I really want to help people through their pain, that journey, if they let me in. And I also, I, I come from a very a wonderful family. They're very altruistic in nature. They have generous hearts, generous spirits. And I think that coupled with the fact that I was a very poor student, very poor academic student. And so I never really felt smart. I never felt like I belonged in a classroom. I actually didn't feel like I belonged in the corporate world because I, I felt like I had a missing chip because I felt so much with my heart, but I couldn't, I, I felt like I couldn't connect the dots. So when I got into the working world, it was just apparent to me that A, people like me don't feel like we fit in anywhere. And B, when I get to be a leader one day, I'm gonna make sure that everyone feels like they belong. And so that's really, those three things really are what you know, make me, make me be a heart leader every day. So how would you define um, leadership? Oh, for me, leadership is, is a, it's a choice. It's not authority. It's a, a leader is a person that looks at hardship and is able to see the opportunity. Leaders, I believe, go into the fire. They're empathetic. And they are people that inspire by who they are. But I, I firmly believe, I firmly believe with my hand on my heart that leaders are here to serve other people, that we are here to provide and turn other people into champions, into heroes. So in a year that we've had where <laughs> <laughs> everything's been turned completely upside down, how have you been able to keep on having that people first approach whenever you're trying to navigate things and deal with things as it's coming across to you as well yeah i've had to keep my eye on the prize and the number one in the prize the only thing that matters is the people and their experience so i i try to not focus on those 99 percent of other things that don't really matter all the noise and what is it that matters getting people to get working from home safely making sure that they have the right equipment, they have the right bandwidth, they are safe, they are healthy, the people they love are safe, they are healthy, that we are leaning in when it comes to Black Lives Matter and our diversity, inclusivity, and equity. These are things that matter a lot to our population, Not that we're listening and then taking action. So, for example, we're hiring our first chief diversity officer right now, and that we're spending time communicating authentically and transparently to everyone, whether or not that's on our finances, whether or not that's on how difficult this is for me 
and you and everyone else, not hiding the fact that we also are human. We don't have all the answers. The more transparent, authentic, and vulnerable a leader can be, I think that goes a very long way with their staff. We're like, oh, they're just like me. Yeah, I'm just like you. So leading by example and creating that space of psychological safety for your people to be able to open up and share how they really feel. Yeah, and I mean, we're a very people-first culture. You come to our company for a, a couple of reasons. One, you want to be innovating, and you know that uh, our CEO, Gary Vaynerchuk, is a person that is on the cutting edge and always ahead of the curve. You want to be in our culture because you've heard great things about our culture. You want to be in an independently owned company. You're there because you want to be part of and have autonomy and have responsibility in creating and cultivating the culture together. Sticking back to um, a statement you made around Black Lives Matter. Yeah. For a company that's always been people first, why would you say it's taken so long for changes to happen around that and why has it happened this year? Yeah. In terms of hiring a, a, <coughs> excuse me, a chief diversity officer, for a very long time, Gary and I being so accessible, being very hands-on leaders, really felt as though we were covering off on everything, making every single person feel seen, feel like they belong, feel like they matter. And once Black Lives Matter came up, once the murders of George Floyd, the riots, and then Black Lives Matter came up here in the States, what I kept on hearing from our black and brown communities were, hey, Claude, we love it here, but we've never felt like we could be ourselves. Talk about a splash of water on your face. There was nothing more humbling to hear that. And it became very apparent that, okay, Gary and I are not going to be able to have that lived experience. We can have lived experience in a variety of different ways based on who we each are as individuals, but I'm never, ever going to know what it's like to have different color skin. I'm never going to know what it's like to code switch. Never. And so we need to bring someone in who not only has lived experience, but has set up global structures and frameworks for DE&I internally, but also externally. We're an advertising company. So we need to be also having that face towards the consumer and with our clients every day. So that's why, you know, why it's taken this long and why now. And it could never be a better time than now, actually. That is really good to hear. And I'm sure your people appreciate the fact that not only have you listened, but you've actually taken action. I know it's not always easy for leaders to recognize when something is not working despite their best intentions let alone take the necessary actions to address the situation for the benefit of their people. The pandemic and Black Lives Matter have revealed a need for changing the way organizations conduct themselves in terms of representation at all levels, especially at senior levels, as well as putting their people first from a cultural perspective. The need has always been there, but 2020 gave it a renewed impetus. 
do you say to what do you see changing with the agency world? As it would be fair to say, the agency life has not always been about people first. It's been about getting the job done, putting your hours in. So how do you see things actually progressing in a positive manner? So I think a couple things are going to change. And I think we've seen some of the changes already. I think that will start in leadership. And I think we'll start to see more diversity in leadership and diversity of voice in leadership, whether or not that is more females, more people of color on boards, more people of color in senior leadership seats is really important. I think that's huge. I think the retention, and we're all focusing on retention now. If you are a person of color and you don't see yourself in two, three, four jobs above you, well, why would you stay there? I don't know. So we got to work on recruiting, retention, leadership. For sure, I think that the nature of communication and communicating from an ivory tower is gone. Just gone. I don't I can't imagine companies staying alive that much longer if you are if you have leaders who are way up here and completely um, not in touch with their people. The high-touch nature, as we said in the beginning, the vulnerability, the authenticity, these are things that are here to stay, especially while we're all working from home, and that's not going to end anytime soon. <clears throat> we'll probably go to hybrid models, but <clears throat> excuse me, being able to lean in and touch someone and affect someone and get insp- inspiration from someone on a screen is a different skill. Then when you're sitting in a room and you're brainstorming, you're jamming on some great idea that you have. You have to use your listening skills a lot more now than ever because you have to pick up on things that you might not be able to, you might only be able to pick up on in, in person, right? Body language, those types of things. When is a person looking down at their laptop or, or their phone? you got to hold people's attention more. But the thing that I really think is important to say is that I believe that the idea of perfection is gone out the window. Because this isn't a time where we needed to be perfect. There is no perfection when it comes to triage. In triage, in the hospital, you're saving lives. You're doing whatever you can to save a person's life. To treat the wound so that you can then you know, come to some kind of sustainability so that you can keep that person alive and thriving. Same exact thing with cultures. We all come March 12th or March 17th, every single person went home. That was triage. No one had a playbook to how to handle that. And then we all went into this sustain, you know, the sustain time. And now we're all figuring out the transformation and how to thrive during this time. But there's no perfection. No, there's no perfection. We can't have perfection right now. So I think we got to see that. We have to be okay with that. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking that sounds really good. But then for a lot of leaders who are not used to listening they're not used to being vulnerable being open leading that way how do they start to really develop those skill sets that they need to have to live that kind of lifestyle and that future lifestyle that you just talked about right now 
first and foremost, they have to have enough self-awareness that they want that lifestyle. <laughs> they have to have, someone's going to have to shine a mirror on them if they're not able to shine a mirror on themselves. So not everyone is going to change. It's not going to be utopia. However, if you are a leader that is aware that you're out of touch or that you want to become more empathetic or you want to work on your kindness, then you have to look at yourself and, and figure out what the blocks are. What has prevented you from being a leader that is more in touch with all of the humans? Oh, okay, it's the way you were brought up. Or, oh, it's the way that you started from the bottom. Whatever it is. But a person, any human being, has to want to gain self-awareness. And so that's the start. That's how you do it. And not everyone, like I say, not everyone's going to want to do it. And that's cool, too. I hope they can retain their top talent. <laughs> I say that also with love in my heart. I want the best for everyone. But we're in this world together. We're all seeing what's happening. You and I are, for the first time ever in our lives, going through something in history that we've never gone through before. And you and I, complete strangers to one another, now are experiencing the same thing. It's a collective experience. So true. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So how would you say that this collective experience has changed your outlook on work, if it has at all? Because I know you've always been a very high-energy person. So has this changed your approach and your focus as well? I can't say that it's changed me and changed, you know, changed who I am and changed who I am as a leader. I think what I've, if, if there's anything I've learned is that I need to remind myself to fill my cup up a little bit more because it can be very depleting sometimes, especially in this year where there's been an enormous amount of raw energy and a lot of anxiety. I need to, I've needed to make sure that I can take a little bit of a time out here and there to get myself, make sure I'm on, I'm on solid ground. You know, I'm no use to anyone if I'm not, right? Yeah. So I think that's the thing that has shown me in all of my years of being in the corporate and, corporate world and advertising agencies and being a leader. Like, you got to fill your cup up. How do you fill your cup up? A couple different ways. I've got a two-year-old who certainly <laughs> fills my cup up in different ways, in ways I never would have known. Didn't I wasn't around a lot of babies. So I think that's a huge part making sure that I'm talking to my friends, my core group and keeping in touch and, and making sure that I'm not being kind of a lone ranger. Like I don't need anyone. It's okay. Very important. And this is going to sound silly, but getting rest, making sure I'm getting more than five and a half, six and a half hours of sleep. So that's those types of ways, spending time with friends, even on zoom. It's a very different day. I'm not, I'm not going to dinner with my friends or having a glass of wine with my friends and having a good laugh out, out, out in a restaurant or figuring out how to do that now. It sounds small things, but they make a massive difference, don't they? Massive difference. I think that's exactly right. The, it, the size of the things don't matter. 
It's the intention behind each and everything that we're doing and the impact. And going and spending time making my daughter some avocado toast and then watching her enjoy it, that's filling me up in a way that I would have been so rushed before that I wouldn't have stopped to smell the roses right there. It wouldn't have really mattered, to be quite honest. And now it matters to me. Plus, I'm at home, so I'm getting so much time. Like, like it or not, some days. <laughs> Do you miss, like, traveling, being on the road and all of that? Or I do. I don't miss as much as I did travel, which was a lot. Every week, every other week. But I do miss seeing other cultures. I certainly miss the downtime that I would have on an airplane to get caught up on things, <laughs> listen to a podcast. And I miss, seeing, I miss seeing our other co-workers in these other offices, you know, in their natural habitats. But I, don't, I certainly don't miss running across town to catch the flight or then missing the flight or waiting in line. I don't miss that. I think that we're getting, I'm getting so much more done now sitting in one place on a screen and having my time limits, knowing that I'm going to stop work at a certain hour because it is dinner time with my daughter. And that's something I don't want to miss. So my priorities have shifted. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I've enjoyed being at home, to be honest. It's been very different because my work partners was always working from home and then working in clients' offices. Yeah. But this period, obviously, it was, I was at home, my wife was at home, the kids were at home, and we're all together. And it was just, it was crazy in a good way because we had dinner every night, we're playing games every day, yeah. watching stuff together. Yeah. And for once in the UK, we had sunshine in April. So <laughs> we could actually come out to the garden or go for walks. Yeah. So it was really a great time just to be with each other and also be, we'll talk about things that you're grateful for. So yeah. we just made the best of the situation. So it was really good. That's amazing. At what age are your kids? 13 and 11. Nice. So just having... Two practical teenagers in a house. I was going to say. <laughs> <Proper>. <laughs> no, but it was all good. And yeah, they get along most of the time yeah. with each other. Right. So it was quite good. That's good. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you about passion versus purpose. That's and what one. the difference is for you. <laughs> That's a good one. That's such a good one. The, I believe that the things I'm passionate about lead to what I'm what my purpose is. So I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about psychology. I'm passionate about human behavior. I'm passionate about pushing my limits. I'm passionate about figuring out what what lights me up and what lights you up. I'm passionate about spiritualities. My purpose in life I believe, is to be of joyful service, is to really help facilitate growth and change. And all of those things I just mentioned lead to this greater purpose, this 
the guiding light, my North Star, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'm also passionate about snowboarding. But snowboarding makes me happy. Yeah. And my purpose is to be of joyful service. Joyful, happy. You know, I got to be happy. I, gotta, I have to have a full cup in order to help other people, in order to be of service to others. So I think, again, your passions, it's what you fill up the cup of purpose with. So how would you advise people to differentiate between both? Because very easily, you get a lot of advice saying, follow your passion. Then you get people saying, follow your purpose. Yeah. (laughs) I think you want to help people identify what it is they're passionate about. And some people don't know. Some people might not be able to articulate that they're really passionate about human behavior, what they might be able to articulate is, I just want to help people. Why do you want to help people? Because I was stuck one day. Or because I was a troubled teenager and I had a great mentor that helped me, whatever it is. But you have to help people uncover what the root is. I'm passionate about snowboarding. Why am I passionate about snowboarding? I don't like to be cold but I'm passionate about going fast. I said earlier, I like to push my limits. I like to feel like I'm right on the edge of things sometimes. Snowboarding, I go very fast, gives me that exhilaration. Has nothing to do with being cold. I wish it was in the the summertime. So helping people identify what it is that lights them up you know, what it is. Oh, I like to invent things. I like to tinker with things. I'm passionate about networking with people, whatever that is. Then I think you can help people see what their bigger purpose is or what many of them, look, you don't have to have one purpose in life. No one's one's the authority, by the way, on your passion or your purpose other than you, (laughs) right? No one's going to say, Claude, that's not your passion. You're not passionate about human behavior. You're not, you know, you're not passionate about snowboarding. That's not true. Only I know. But I think we can help people get from point A to Z. And that is by walking with them, listening, asking questions, holding space, and letting people know that, by the way, there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer their life. But I do think that a lot of us put an enormous amount of pressure on ourselves to figure it out. That's what I do. And that pressure can lead to a lot of anxiety. And that anxiety can keep you up at night and can all of a sudden make a very high performer turn into a low performer just because they're spinning. So these are the things I think about all the time. Me too. Yep, I bet. I bet. It makes a massive difference. I think you see people in in organizations where people say, oh, they changed overnight. They didn't change overnight. It's just the way they were seeing the world changed. Yes, exactly. And you now need to try to help them to identify certain things as to, okay, what do you want to do? How do you want to approach things? Yeah, it's exactly mindset shift. It's just it's shifting the way that you perceive something, you think about something, you take in information. You go from a no person all of a sudden to a 
Yeah, maybe. Or a yes person. And there's a courage and bravery that comes from that, which you've also shown because you spent, what, 20 plus years in advertising and you're like, this is like me anymore. I want to do something different. Yeah. Now, this year, I've had a number of conversations with a lot of people <laughs> who've been in that same space. I think lockdowns made them stop and think. But at the same time, a lot of them are being very scared to take that leap yeah. because like I've, ha I've had all this years experience doing one thing how can I step into something else yeah so I'm curious to find out how you had that conversation with yourself and how you took that courage the conversation with myself started well before I actually made the step the voices the voice inside me the voice inside me was telling me a good four years prior like this isn't doing it for your clock. This is not doing it for you. And I had a great, I had a great career. I was, I was a successful strategist and got to work on some incredible brands and be all over the world and do some what I think is really some really good work. But it wasn't exciting to me, and I stayed in it and I stayed in it until I could not stay in it again. Could not do one more day. And to be really, you know, dr dramatic about it, it just felt like my soul was dying. I just wasn't happy. I had, I'd have the Sunday scaries. And when you have the Sunday scaries, I think that's a real good sign. Something's not working. <laughs> Something's not working. And I had to figure out like, oh, it was me. It was me doing that job wasn't working any longer. So I uh, had to figure out what was it that was really exciting to me, which I knew all along was people. I had to get very clear. And then there was, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't, I could not do one more day. That's how it felt. So I had to make the pivot. People don't need to wait until that moment. That's the thing. This pandemic has, I think, opened up people's minds and hearts to different possibilities and different things that really turn them on and excite them. And for me, I had everything. A great career. Why would you leave a great career? I left a great career because it wasn't feeding me anymore. I couldn't find any joy in it any longer. I had juiced it. I had juiced the orange as much as I could. And I knew there was a whole other basket of fruit waiting for me. And there was, and there is, every day. How did you, with that in mind, four years to make that final decision, did you ever have, I guess what you've called, or should I ask a different way, how did you then quieten little Claude, big Claude, yeah. and those limited beliefs that can come across when, when you're thinking about the future or taking that step? Oh my gosh. It's a really good question. Someone said to me during that time, you have to tell little Claude to sit in the back seat, give her an iPad, and tell her that she's not driving this car any longer. And that's literally what he said to me. You tell her to sit in the back, and you are driving the car. Big Claude is driving the car. And when he said that to me, it made so much sense. You know, because I was letting little Claude, with all of her fears and all of her I'm not good enough, 
not smart enough, that kind of stuff, dictate what Big Claude's life was going to be about. So I thank him so much to this day that he helped me do that. And now I say to everyone, drive the bus. You get to drive the bus. You, who you are and your full glory, you get to get into that front seat. And that's not to say that I don't have days or moments when limiting beliefs come up because I'm human and because I do. But I have to recognize when they come up, oh, where's that coming from? Why is that coming up right now? Did I have a weird interaction with someone? Did I say something or did I not say something? Was I out of my integrity? Are my dreams too small? I have to, I have to hold myself accountable to being my big self. No one else can do it for me. <laughs> no one can be like, come on, Claude, get big. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so important to recognize that despite the amount of experience you have had and all that you've been through, you still get limiting beliefs, but you don't actually let them stop you. By naming it, you know how to respond to it. You know how to bring forward Big Claude and put Little Claude in the back seat when those feelings come up. So you hold a lot of people... When you look after a lot of people and you hold them accountable in your day-to-day life. So who helps you, who holds you accountable, apart from yourself? Yeah, my boss. (laughs) (laughs) I work for a legend. I work for a guy that could do my job with his eyes closed and does my job with his eyes closed and does many of our jobs. He's a phenomenal mentor, Gary. Gary Vaynerchuk is a phenomenal mentor to me, is a phenomenal teacher, and he holds me accountable. And there are days that he has given me feedback that I have not wanted to hear. There are days that he's given me the same feedback three times, not my proudest moments. But I want to make Vayner the best career choice of anyone that comes to work for us and work with us. And that means I need to be at my best. So he holds me quite accountable. And he should. And so, and so does the rest of the leadership team. We all play a very particular uh, jobs, roles, so that we can come together and be the best place that we can be. My family holds me accountable. My brother holds me accountable. I've got a coach that holds me accountable. I can't do it on my own. I don't think life is meant to be lived without support yeah we need people as much as there have been times in my life when I have pushed people away because I felt guilty for taking up their time or I was like I don't really need them or feeling too small fact is is we need people we're not supposed to be on some top of a mountaintop by ourselves like we are wired to connect with one another we're wired to be in community and to belong to one another belong with one another and that's what it's about when you build cultures so that people feel like oh they can count on someone they're not alone they're not they don't have to go through that alone and as a leader you just talked about receiving feedback yeah i did (laughs) (laughs) yeah how how do you 
how has your process of receiving feedback changed over the years? Because I know talking to senior leaders, there are times when they hear certain things and it hurts and yeah. they focus more on the pain yeah. rather than the lesson. I tell you how it's changed for me is once I hear feedback and if I trust the, if I trust who it's coming from and it's coming in a way that is, <coughs> look, all, all feedback is fairly subjective. But if I know it's coming from a good place, from a person wanting me to be the best I can possibly be, then I have learned to be accountable immediately and to try to make changes immediately rather than defending my spot, defending defending whatever it was I've done. Because, by the way, it doesn't really matter. I can defend it until I'm blue in the face. But, like, at the end of the day, i got to make changes. Unless it's like ludicrous, unless it's completely crazy feedback, but that's not really. I don't work in a. I don't work in an environment where I'm going to get crazy feedback. One of the things that I think is very valuable is learning how to accept, take the gift, leave whatever else, take the gift, leave the rest, and let's go. Let's move on. Let's implement what I can. I'm a work in progress, just like everyone else. But take responsibility. I don't want to. I don't want to just leave it out there lingering in the wind. It's like the elephant in the room that you don't talk about. And those types of things, ambiguity like that, can really, I think, really cause a lot of confusion and pain for people. Meaning, I don't understand what you mean when you say I need to X, Y, and Z. Make sure that you understand what the feedback is. Make sure that there's that whoever's giving you the feedback obviously is coming from a kind place, <coughs> kindness, and that they're clear and specific. Otherwise, hey, you could have done a better job means nothing to me. That just leaves me with more questions. But you could have done a better job showing that person how to do X, Y, and Z. That's better feedback. Then I know what I'm supposed to do. You lean into it. Yeah, you lean, you lean into it. And if you, again, if you know it's coming from a good place, and most of the time it is, right? No one's out to get me. And that's, no one's out to get me. I don't want anyone to be out to get anyone. I know that's not the nature of the world, unfortunately. I'd like to believe that it is, but it's not right now. But if we can... Remember to take the gift and leave the rest. Focus on people's good intention. And move on. What else are we doing here? You know, what else are we what else am I doing if I'm not taking what I can and getting and springing myself into action to become a better person and to hopefully inspire others to do the same? Because we're all a work in progress. Yeah. We're all learning from each other, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> well, I think that's something that's really in- interesting around Reina is the relationship amongst everyone. How you can give feedback, you can listen to feedback at all levels across yeah. the organization. And even what you talked around, even from the start, how people can share how they feel about situation, there's BLM, COVID, whatever it is, you have that real open 
honest family feeling. Yeah. Now that's what eight hundred plus employees, an organization. Yeah. And you've managed to create that kind of culture. How? <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> by being very high touch, by being extremely accessible and available, and by saying yes. Yeah, you can talk to me now. Yeah, let's talk. Let's go. Let's have that hard conversation. Yes, you want to talk to me about some of your mental health challenges. Yes, you didn't get the raise that you wanted. Let's at least have the conversations. But we're very high touch. My job description, touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. I had to figure out how I was going to do that. The only way I know how to do that is by talking with every single person over and over again. And I don't even get to everyone. So then I have to rely on my team and leadership to scale me and to scale Gary. So that takes a lot of trust. But that's what you got to do because I'm not going to be able to get to all 800 plus people. Not in one year, that's for sure. Yeah, much as I want, much as I wish I could. Does that influence who and how you hire people at VaynerMedia to ensure that you get people that represent the DNA and the values you just described? Yeah, yeah. We used to hire for culture fit. And culture fit, a long time ago, got us speed. And it got us, same, get you fast, get you speed, get you shorthand, right? That was really important for the first four years. When I came in, so I've been there six and a half years. I've been in this role five years now. When I came into this role, I said, all right, that's it. We're going to hire for skill set fit. We're going to be very specific about the skills we need for this job. And we're going to hire for culture addition, meaning we're going to hire people that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that might not even think like us, but their values are going to be in a very similar postal code. They're going to be open to learning, open to failing. They're going to be open to feedback, open to training, open to development, open to being kind, to being self-aware, open to EQ, those types of things. And so you ask open-ended questions in order to get there. Tell me about a time in which you failed. Tell me about a time in which you received really bad, feed, uh, really bad feedback. And what was it? And what did you do? Tell me about a time you received poor advice. Tell me about a time you gave someone bad advice. Tell me about a time you micromanaged someone. Tell me about a t- those types of things. You get a sense of, A, how honest someone is. Because we all have been there. And you also get a sense of how that person's going to be in collaboration with others. How they're going to lead. Skill set fit and culture addition is how we do it. We don't, in the U.S., we do not ask for a college degree, which is very important. Because why? In our international offices, we need to because it's part of, it's just, it's part of the local, local geography. culture. Yeah, culture. But in the U.S., we don't, and I'm proud of that. I'm really proud because I don't want to limit anyone from coming in. That's not to say higher education isn't important. 
But education comes in all different shapes and sizes. You know, we have 19-year-olds that are at that are at the agency that have, you know, learned how to hack TikTok. Why wouldn't we want them there? And there are certain things based on where the world is going that education hasn't caught up just yet. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it will, but education is going to change the entire structure of it. You know, not the need. We're always going to need to want to better ourselves. I believe, but it comes in different sizes. Look, if I would have stayed at university for four consistent years, I would have graduated in 1991, but I didn't. I took 10 years to graduate. I graduated in 1998. And in those 10 years, I dabbled in different courses in different schools, different spiritualities, different energy work. And I learned a hell of a lot about myself. And that was what I needed. That's what I needed. Someone else needed to go four years and get it over with. It's just different strokes for different folks. That's unique. That's the uniqueness of each and every individual. So I'm curious, as a mother, how would you advise your daughter? Would you advise her to go down the entrepreneur route or the education route? Well, I want her to climb some trees and climb some mountains and learn from the outdoors. I want her to learn by experiencing life and experiencing people. And so I am going to be open to whatever it is she feels is best for herself. I only I know that up until that moment, I can hopefully get her in the outdoors and get her involved in sport and get her involved in liberal arts and creating things, getting confident, and then she can make her own decision. And uh, snowboarding. Yeah. I want and snowboarding for sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, she's gonna be amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's she's the best. I want her to be, I just want her to be a happy, confident kid. That's a giver. That's a generous person. How do you manage to stay so positive and keep on going? There's no other option for me. Yeah, sure. Okay, there's an option. I can just make myself sick all day and tell myself the world is a dark place, but I don't. When I was 25, I made a decision. I read a book by Mar- <laughs> I read a book by Marianne Williamson called "Return to Love." And in the book, Marianne Williamson says, "There's two emotions: love and fear. And if you are in fear, you are not in love." Was that clear to me? I wanted to be in love. I wanted to be in love and a person that was full of love. And I had to do a lot of work on myself in order to get there. And there's no turning back. There's no, I I don't know how to be that other person. And I look at all of the things I've had to go through in my life and my own pitfalls and my own potholes and the mountains I've had to climb and scale. 
And as painful as some of those experiences were, I don't regret any of them because I wouldn't sit here with you. I wouldn't be here being able to say to you, there's no other option for me. I see beauty in the world. I see other things in the world. That is very true. I don't deny what's going on. I don't deny that people are in pain and any of the other stuff. But I believe that tomorrow is a different day and a new day. I believe that the next day we have another opportunity to bring more kindness and tenderness into this world. I believe in the next day we have the same opportunity. Until my last breath, that's what I want to do. That's a very powerful way to live where your focus is. I see the bad, but I make a choice intentionally to focus on the good and to use that to drive me forward rather than focus on the negative. Yeah, thank you. And what would you say your like your top three lessons you have learned this year? In no particular order. Yeah. The first lesson was acceptance. So I think acceptance of COVID, acceptance of the fact that I was not going to see my family or friends, acceptance of the fact that the circumstances are, were what they were and I would be at home, acceptance that I couldn't change COVID, I couldn't wish it away, so acceptance. That was the first one. I think patience, I have learned an entirely new appreciation for patience. And understanding, at least in this year, change takes a long time. Things are going to, we put things in motion and they will take time to manifest. But I think as long as we put them in motion and we author them, we, it's more than just manifesting. You have to really believe it. And then you have to go and make the actions. You have to go take the steps to bring that thing to fruition. So patience. And then the next thing is one that we talked about already, which is I have to remember to fill my cup. I must remember. And that's, a, that's been a hard one for me because I like to think I'm the energizer bunny and I can go and go. And then look, I got COVID. And what did that do? That, that had me flat on my back. So, um, learning how to fill my cup and learning the different ways to fill my cup, whether or not that's hanging out with my daughter or that's listening to a podcast or talking to a friend I haven't spoken to in a while. So those three things, acceptance, patience, filling my own cup. Do you tend to have or make like New Year resolutions or goals or you know, go the flow? They're more affirmations, I would say. And then what I was just talking about, like authoring, like having a dream, but then really writing it down as though it happened already. That's something I started to do about, I would say maybe two or three years ago. And, but I have to make it extremely tangible. 
and I have to write down like how I'm going to feel so that I can really taste it. Otherwise, I'm just, I'm, you can't bullshit a bullshit. I can fluff my way through anything. Yeah. So they, I can't just be like, I want to lose 15 pounds, but I'm going to sit on the couch all day. Or <laughs> I, I want to become like an all-star tennis player. That's not going to happen in one year. But I can start hitting tennis balls. So I can say, Claude, you're going to hit tennis balls two, three times a week. And, and Johnny's going to hold me accountable to that. What would you say you want your legacy to be? so interesting. The minute I told you who I wanted my daughter to be, what I wanted her to grow into, I saw it. I said, oh yeah, that's my legacy. I want to leave the world in a better place than I found it. And I want to be known as having a very generous heart. And I'm really putting people first. But I, I want to bring more tenderness and kindness into this world and alleviate people's pain. And I can do that with a generous heart and a generous spirit. That's the, the perfect ending <laughs> to this because I just can't say anymore. Because with that kind of approach, especially if people embodied that and we did that in our organizations, in our daily lives, it would make such a massive difference. But we've seen the effects this year when people came together and looked out for one another. Yeah. And then now it's obviously things have changed a little bit again. But even if we can hold on to a little bit of that and keep on doing that day to day, it'll be so it'll be amazing. Yeah. It is gonna be amazing. Good. I appreciate your time, your wisdom and sharing those nuggets. Thank you for having me. It's so good to chat with you, man. I, uh, I want to reverse it, and I'm going to have you come on my podcast. I'll be up for that. Yeah. I'd love to chat with you, hear what's up, and how you got to be you, how you got to have this wonderful attitude that you have and energy. I look forward to it. Um, that would be a great conversation, being another South on the mic for one. So, yeah, let's, let's definitely do that. I just want to say thank you for coming in today. It's always a great pleasure to be able to talk to people who are leading by example and constantly looking at ways to improve things and make changes for the people that they look after. For those who want to hear more from Claude, which I'm sure you do, you can check her out on LinkedIn, where she drops daily nuggets. You can also check her out on Twitter and her website. And the details of how to do that is coming up next. Thank you for listening to Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, Share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.